Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, the show where we tell the stories of people who make law firms a better place to work. We often hear jokes about the Human Resources Department, but today's guest, Christine Wilbur, Director of HR for a California-based firm, proves that those who work in HR have grit, determination, and gumption. I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. And I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director for Sheffield, Lohman & Wilson. We love talking to Christine about HR, but it wouldn't be mostly legal if we didn't stray off topic a little bit. In this episode, we talked about Disney, I told a really terrible HR joke, and you'll hear about the most embarrassing thing that has happened to me in a long time. Let's dive in. This is Christine Wilbur. She is the Director of Human Resources at Alshire and Winder. She is based in California, 30 minutes from the beach, which we love. Um, You've been in law firms for a while. I'll let you tell us a little bit more about that in a second. You have an MBA and you have a BS and you have all kinds of great things. So fill in what I left out and tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been in law firms since 2006 and I started as a receptionist. Um, I was working at the grocery store at the time and I wanted uh, something different because I was considering law school. And so I was urged by my father to call local law firms and find an opening. And I did. And so that was my first foot in the door, so to speak. And that went well. I relocated to Oregon for about a year, stayed in law firms out there. They definitely do things different, um, not in a bad way. And then I ended up relocating back to California. And when I came back, I was committed to staying in law firms, but it wasn't as simple as it was, you know, a year earlier to find that job. So to be creative, I used what was called a telephone book or the yellow pages. And I called... (laughs) every single law firm in Orange County to look for an opening. And I was lucky enough to find Bars Calderon. And they asked me to fax my resume, if anybody knows what a fax machine. How old are you? You're not that old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old enough to buy alcohol, cigarettes, and drive. That's all that's important. Oh, shut (laughs) up. Nobody cares. (laughs) But a phone book and fax machines, that does date you just a tad. A little bit. And so they happened to have an opening and that's where my history in Orange County, uh, California and in law really took flight. And that was about the time of the recession. And so instead of being part-time, I said, give me a week. I'm going to find another full-time job since you can't offer it to me because I don't want to leave law firms. I left for a month um, to another law firm in, in Irvine And at the same time, the receptionist slash executive assistant was moving out of state. They're like, hey, come back. I'm like, I'm there. And when I came back, I came back as receptionist slash um, executive assistant uh, to the office manager. And from there, she taught me a whole different side of managing law firms that I never even thought about. Because like I said, I was still looking at potentially going to law school. And she was a huge mentor, inspiration in my early, early career and um, supported me through my growth as a professional. And at that time, I had finished my um, bachelor's degree in social and behavioral sciences. Um, I also got my MBA at that same time. And so when I came out of MBA, I was assistant office manager. And I said, look, 
you should go vacation. Now's the time. I can take this over. <laughs> and she was on board until she wasn't because it's very hard to make that decision to retire. And so that's when I left and just kept moving on up the ladder. And here I am. So I'm going to tell a real quick story, Rob, and then I'll let you ask a question about how I first met Christine. She doesn't even know this story and she doesn't know I'm even going to tell this story, but that's what we do on this podcast is we just oh, bombard our guests with fun little tidbits. So it was in October of 2021. We yes. were at the annual ALA conference in Austin, Texas. Yes. And there was a keynote speaker named Rick Rigsby, right? Yes. And he was amazing and powerful and a great speaker. And after he was done, they pulled all the board aside and they were like, okay, wait for a little bit and we're going to take a picture with the speaker. I'm like, okay, that's great. That's great. And so we're all kind of milling around. There's 12 of us and we're herding the cats together. And I look over and Christine's standing next to him taking a picture. And I, I looked at somebody and I was like, who's that? Is that like his assistant? They're like, no, that's Christine. She's from California. And I said, why, why is she up there taking a picture with him? And they're like, oh, I think she just wanted to meet him. And I said, are we doing a meet and greet? Like I'm, I'm she, he, there's, they said, well, no, but we're not, not doing a meet and greet. And so <laughs> it, it was funny to me because I, then I saw you do the same thing in, in Orlando in, in, when we had this conference last year and it kind of gave me a whole perspective. You, I'm gonna let you talk about this a little bit more, but it's about just going to get what you want. And that story of what you were talking about, about opening your phone book and just faxing and calling until you found it. I feel like that has, that's your personality type and it has stayed with you, right? I would say so. And I'm trying to hold on to it because I think as you're developing your authenticity, like even your brand, you know, it's easier to just be you than it is to be who people think you should be. And I, I struggle with that even today because I'm naturally at heart a people pleaser, but obviously there are limits to that. Yeah. And so my thing is, so in Austin, that was my first ALA conference in my entire career. I had never been um, in attendance and I am so grateful that Alshar and Winder supported me being there because it was a very eye-opening, enriching experience. And my thought when I do those things, but I'm very careful now because I know there's protocol. You can't just walk up and do that. I did it another time and I was, don't do that. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know protocol. My thing is, I don't know when I'll be able to do it again. And so I try to just soak up as much as I can in the moment so that I can share it with other people that may be like me that can't go or haven't had that experience so that I can get them just as excited as I am to be there. I think you got a picture with Inky Johnson before Rob and I did, and we paid for half of him to be there. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. But I asked for permission <laughs> that time. I remember, I remember meeting you at the same uh, conference, Amanda. She came up to us at the reception, the happy hour reception. Mm -hmm. I remember that moment. Oh, yes. she's She asked for a picture with us and we were like, oh, we have fans. You, you know what? Fan I do have that picture still. Yeah. yeah. It was a great picture yes. of me. I've cut you out of it and then Rob and I use it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> you talked about, you know, you started as a receptionist. You worked your yes. way up. The office manager that was in the seat you're in now, she retired. Do I have that correct? No, she did not want to retire. So I actually left the firm after nearly nine years, which was huge, right? 
right. when you make a decision like that, that in a place where you grew up, so to speak, uh -huh. I mulled over it. And in the other opportunity, it wasn't the right time for me. And so I actually stepped away from that and had to go back to like a boutique style firm. Again, huge moment for me, huge learning experience that it's the grass is not always greener. Don't let it fool you. And, you know, timing is everything. You said it was a huge learning moment for you or learning experience. Dive into that some. I didn't know it at the time, right? The old adage goes. But looking back um, now that I am in a position where I'm motivating and teaching and coaching people, I would have told myself, you know what? You need to spend more time exploring what this other situation looks like, how it's going to impact you. How does it align with your goals? What are your goals? I didn't have any because I didn't know what I wanted. And when you don't set those goals or you're not clear about what those goals are because they can change, you're going to get what you're going to get. And sometimes you order that hamburger and you wanted lettuce and you don't get it. You get the pickle, right? So I think I would just eat hamburger, I'd send it back. <laughs> so and so I, I... <laughs> Rob and I would not eat. We don't eat what we get. It's going back. <laughs> so we get exactly what we want. So Christine, well, why? Uh, so you have kind of voluntarily chosen to be an HR, which makes people question <laughs> your, you know, sanity to begin with. But how do you like doing HR compared to doing office administrator or legal administrator? I think when people initially hear HR, the first reaction is to cringe, but we're yeah. people too. <laughs> and we're people trying to help other people, right? So when I was going through this transition, I was getting my, you know, college degrees and making that transition into management, right? And leaving peers behind, which I wish I would have handled that better, but I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. Yeah. That was really hard for me too. And I think it's those hard moments that thrust you in a direction that you never imagined that you would be headed. And then just being present during that process and really thinking about, okay, how, you know, what can I do about this right now? How is what I'm doing right now going to affect the future three, five, 10 years from now? How is it going to affect my team? Is this going to still be my team? So I didn't choose HR. It found me because like I was saying early on, you know, I was thinking about law school. I even took the LSAT and I got a good score. And when I thought about, again, future goals, I thought, how am I going to be able to do this and be a mom? Because I thought I was going to have five kids. I'm not saying moms <laughs> can't do it. Their parents are heroes and working parents are heroes. And so they find ways to get through it. And I just thought at that time, at that age, I wasn't mature enough to see that. And so now I have no choice, right? Because I am a single parent and I'm working, you know, a high level job. So I think just going with the flow and, and like I said, setting realistic goals and being clearer about that, that's kind of how you find yourself down that career path and out of the job. I'm still stuck on somebody wanting to have five kids. Okay, Rob, and to be fair, like her her son's actually really close to your kid's age, but she yeah. has one, but she is solo. So you do two and you get to play man defense. Well, well, we're friends on social media and 
one of the questions I wanted to ask is what is your favorite Disneyland ride? Oh yeah. Okay. So we go to Disneyland a lot. My son has probably been to Disneyland more than any child on this earth. He goes at least once or twice a week. And so, um, yes. So we actually just went this past weekend. Haunted Mansion has it all decorated for Nightmare Before Christmas. So it's kind of like a, a twist on fall and Christmas at the same time. And it's not scary to him. And so it's the only time that he feels the most comfortable going because he knows the characters from the movie. And so definitely that. Um, he loves Autotopia because he is a giant child and he is more than tall enough now to drive. Obviously, I'm sitting passenger. So Autotopia is the next favorite. He used to like Pirates but I think it's a little bit dark for him because he's in that I'm afraid of the dark sometimes um, mm. phase. So we don't go on that one as much anymore. We're not allowed to walk through Star Wars lands because there's music. And he's like, no, 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 no. Because I was trying to get him to go on, but I couldn't convince him. So I would say the other favorites are Pinocchio, Snow White, all the classics, the carousel, Dumbo, kind of the smaller aged. It's a small world, but I refuse. No. Re used to go on that ride i love you son but i don't love that song over and over i would pay to watch uh, amanda have to sit there through it so let me tell you i live in florida i live 45 minutes from disney i have lived here four years and been to disney one time and i used to have one of those watches that tracks your stress and it would always be like green maybe slightly yellow like at the worst times i have a picture standing in line at the haunted mansion it was full red my stress meter. And it the watch was like vibrating a little bit, like calm down, calm down. Calm down. I, I hate people and crowds and lines and lines and crowds of people. And I'm just not a Disney person. And like people here love it. They all have their passes and they, they'll go for just a ride. And I can't, I would rather pay somebody. And they have like Disney nannies where they will, oh. somebody will take your kids and you just pay that person, but it would be, it's like the same price as your ticket would be. And so no, a hundred times over again, I would pay a Disney nanny before I will ever go back to that place. Well, I think for me, just seeing, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. You either like it or you don't. No, it sounds like seeing, you and your son like it equally. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I, you know, just seeing the magic in his eyes and his wonder and all of the same things that I grew up going and seeing, obviously a lot of that stuff is different now. And just seeing that pure joy, you know, he, it, it's bad though, because now when we go to daycare, he's like, I don't want to go to school. I want to go to Disneyland. And I'm like, honey, same, but we have responsibilities, you know? Um, it just, it's, it's almost like a, a full circle moment for me because I've dreamed of being a mom and I was not always told that I'd be able to have children. So it's a blessing. And so I'm unhealthily obsessed with my child and his happiness and like doing all the things that parents do. My, my daughter's really shy. And so they see Disney commercials and they ask to go. And I say, you know, I ask her, will you hug Mickey? And she says, no. And I said, okay, we can't go to Disney until you hug Mickey. Rob! <laughs> That's, That's interesting. That's manipulative thing. That's well, like the, problem the biggest is, Amanda move I have ever if, if we go to Dis <laughs> If we go to Disney and she's not hugging Mickey and not hanging out with the other characters, she's going to be scared the whole time. Uh, why would you force your kid to hug some rando in a weird smelly costume if they don't want to do that? 
You always have to turn things. Oh, yeah. I know. Like, I'm like, well, no, no, no. I live in like, I live in Disneyland. It's like a Mickey freaking mouse. Okay. Okay, we're gonna switch gears. I'm gonna ask you an HR question. I have been reading so many posts and memes and all this kind of stuff about this term quiet quitting. And as an HR professional, I'm hoping you can tell me what this means. Maybe I'm just too old to understand it. I don't know. But what are you seeing from your angle? And and can you just shed some light on this term for us? I think for me, when I hear quiet quitting, I think it's more individual and personal in nature, not necessarily just about the firm or the company that people are working for. I've seen that in some articles, it's been connected to the great resignation, which of course we're all dealing with that right now. But I think from a high level view, there are a couple of factors that are creating this situation that that's meaning is, is different per person. And that's the pandemic. I mean, we went from having our everyday routine and our habits and things that we were comfortable doing and we could anticipate, right, to get right. to our, our lives every day, be diminished. And I think that the counter to that and, and dealing with that as we're coming back into the on-site environments that we're finding ourselves in, I mean, some have transitioned to remote, whichever works best for, for firms. I think for me, what it means is that people are losing sight of their goals. If you're setting realistic goals for yourself, for your firm, for your teams, and not being afraid to swerve in a different direction if they're not going as orig originally intended, you can continue to evolve and not quit on yourself and what those big dreams are and those big goals 5, 10, 15 years from now. And you can enjoy being present during the process and not feel like you have to quit everything to get to that next level, whatever so it is. Interesting. So my what I understood, and I think I'm looking at it from the employer side, and you're taking a really great side, because my thought was what it basically means is an employee is going to do just enough to keep from getting fired because they're too scared to quit. And they feel like, you know, basically you as the employer are hostage and you can't fire them because you can't replace them. Why do any more than they have to do? And so sitting where I am, I think, well, that's, you know, why would you, that's terrible. Why would you do that? But what you're saying is I need to look at it from the employee side and employees, I mean, I guess need to say, why am I doing this? Right. And I either need to set a reasonable goal or I need to get going down the road. Right. Right. And that is, that's exactly what that could mean as well, depending on which lens you're looking through. I always try to look through what are the employees feeling? What is the person? Because I work with the management team as well. They also are people too. And that's where my influencer status comes in, right? I don't have to be on Instagram and be a brand rep to be an influencer. I'm an influencer every day to all levels, not just the employees, not just the managers, not just the firm. I've also read the same that you just shared where People are doing just what's in their job description. So they're not going over, they're not going under. Right. And, you know, they're very um, passionate about finding work-life balance. But I think work-life balance is up to you. Right. It is not up to the job that you accepted to do. Really it's not up that. to the managers to give yeah. that to you. It's up to you to advocate for yourself to the individuals that can support you to get you to be, to get you to yes, however way you want 
travel. You did say something interesting that I think people lose sight of, and that is how much people in HR actually do advocate for the employee and then have to be the mouthpiece when the bad news is delivered. And that's the whole HR people too, because you don't get to see what we are doing behind the scenes advocating. And and I'm aware of that. And I understand I'm limited on things that I can share, not share, but I'm always trying to get the support or the uh, approval. Can I just share this much? Because if they just knew this piece, I think that they would better understand. Or I'm really big about like, let's say there's a new policy that we're going to implement. I go to the people, the boots on the ground and try to get their buy-in and their feedback to see what they think. Because if it's not going to pass at that level, no one's going to accept it. I mean, obviously there's going to be some resistance because it's change, but you have, when you have that support from people actually doing whatever it is that could or could not change, it makes that transition a little bit smoother. I'm over here looking up funny HR questions. I know. Well, I, yeah, because somebody was supposed to, I I came up with an HR joke. Does anybody want to hear my HR joke? Sure. Go for it. Okay. Question. Yeah. HR director dies, gets hit by the bus, which is like actually the HR's our worst nightmare if a manager gets hit by a bus. Okay. HR director gets hit by a bus, dies, goes to heaven, meets St. Peter at the gate. And St. Peter says, look, you've done your time. So I'm going to give you a choice. You can either stay in heaven or you can go to hell. And I'll let you spend one day in both of them. And then you can let us know. She's like, okay, well, so you're going to go to hell first. So they go down to hell and the gates open and there's all of her friends are there. Everybody she's ever wanted to see. They're playing golf. They're drinking wine. They're, you know, lounging around and having a great time. Then she gets to go to heaven the next day. And she's, you know, it's great too. It's streets of gold and everything's great in heaven also. And she goes to the next day and says, you know what, St. Peter, I'm going to stay in hell because it really was great down there. I mean, it was fine. And he's like, okay, that's your choice. So he sends her back to hell and the, the doors open up and now it's this dusty landscape and everything is rancid and dead and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, well, what happened? Like it was beautiful, perfect yesterday. And he goes, well, yesterday we were recruiting you. Today you work here. <laughs> oh, man. I have no comment to that. <laughs> I was going to try to not laugh at your joke, but I know I cannot laugh at my joke. You know how hard it is. I'm the funniest person I know. Come on. Oh man, that one's making me sweat over here. Because we hope that people don't feel that way, but sometimes it happens. I mean, I I was tasked with recruiting, so onboarding someone. Okay, March twentieth was our first day. We had shut in 2020. We had just shut down. Shut down. And I had never onboarded someone that way in my entire career at that point. And this person who still works with us, so something worked right, uh, was gracious enough to be patient with me. I was learning how to use this thing, this program called Zoom that everybody was excited about. I had to make sure that I didn't become the cat with the filters because I didn't know what each thing was and I was trying to make it fun. And we just always eyes on the prize and hope for the best. I was going to change the joke up, but it's very legal specific and say something like, yesterday you were a summer associate and today you're an associate, which people would get if they were in law firms. But then the three people that listen who don't work for law firms would not get it. So, No, that was perfect. So I have an HR question for you. Usually when I think of HR, 
and maybe others do as well. It's, it's a lot about managing, right? But part of the HR team's job is helping other leaders learn how to lead people. So from that perspective, do you have any tips for others that are trying to help, you know, maybe they've had partners there forever and they're just stuck in their ways. How do you help your attorneys lead the other staff members or other attorneys as well? My answer to that, I'm going to speak in generalities because I don't actually directly lead the attorneys. And the way I look at it, my lens, which might be different than everybody else, is I try to teach all people to lead in their preferred communication style. So what might work for one personality may not work for the other. And I'm always someone that is uh, encouraging and promoting and supporting face-to-face conversation, whether that's through Zoom, a phone call, and just getting past the assumptions that we think is going through the other person's thought processes so that we can get ahead of the issue instead of react to it. And so to me, every person can be a leader. It doesn't matter what job they're doing, what they're responsible for, where they are, if there's a hierarchy in that firm or company, everyone can be a leader. Everyone. You know, Christine, you said something to me the other day that I actually texted myself because I thought it was so great. I'm like, I got to remember this because I want to ask her about it. And you told me a story and I'd like you to, to elaborate on this a little bit. You said, adversity creates empathy and empathy creates gratitude. And I thought, wow, that's that's profound because I, I had to think about it a little bit. So can you tell me a little bit about where that philosophy comes from? For me, what that means is because we're human, we are all capable of empathy. It will look different based on the personality and the person that is expressing it or not expressing it at all. Not expression is expression, right? And so as you started building your experiences, like for me, when I became a mom, it changed my whole world. Right. I could relate to people now in a different way than I had never been able to relate before. I could understand the variations in the schedules that can happen at times and, you know, are competing against other goals of the firm or the company and knowing that those are just as important too. I mean, for the first time in my entire adult life and parent life, I got to experience the very first soccer practice and back to school night all in one night. I'm like, Hey, (laughs) we're doing it. Let's might as well do it all in one night. And so having that as your default when you're approaching problems is going to hopefully make that process uh, not as challenging as sometimes we make it by not having that empathy to start. And we unintentionally at times will put up roadblocks and you're actually not solving the issue. You're actually putting yourself farther. And when we're emotionally close to an issue, it's really hard to see the difference um, because you just want to be right. And so for me, I no longer care about being right anymore. I used to <laughs> lose sleep over it. Oh, right? man. And so now, you know, what's best? What is best in this moment? What I thought when you said this, what, what made me think of it is the same thing with the kids, right? Because before I had kids, 
I did not understand the, I need to leave this. I need to leave that. Yesterday I had to walk out of a meeting with a partner because my son had a baseball game and I had promised him I would be there because I miss most of his midweek games because for some reason they start baseball games at five o'clock on a Wednesday. I live 45 minutes or 40 minutes from here. So if I want to go to a game, I have to leave at four or four 15. And, yeah. and even then I'm walking up to the dugout in my heels and my suit. It's ridiculous. But anyways, I had to walk out of there 12 years ago when I started managing law firms or well, as longer than that before I had my kids though, I didn't really understand that. It's like, okay, well you can just go to the next game. It's fine. You can go to the next game. So having that empathy that comes from being a parent or from having in any situation where you can empathize with the person who's going for it, then creates the gratitude. You're thankful for the fact that you had to go through the adversity in the first place. You're thankful that you had to go through. I lo- I've shared before, I lost my mom in a very tragic accident. And that created empathy for me for people who have lost their parents. And then I am grateful that I went through that and have the empathy. That's my deep thought yes. for the day. That's this is I'm deep. Proud of you. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I don't think I've ever encouraged or heard this side uh, of you, and I'm I'm proud of you. You're growing up. Yeah. It's, it's I'm like frozen. Day. I don't know how to respond. I'm not used to it. Coming out of Amanda. Rob, you have empathy. <laughs> no, I mean I'm talking about you, not me. No, he no, he's talking about your your empathetic oh, side. Empathetic yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. because you think I'd be full of BS and that I don't actually have empathy. No, I know you do. Or, okay. or capable. You're actually a very empathetic person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just yep. try not to be. So a topic I'd love to talk about, you talk about swerving, you talk about failing forward. It's something I always, I talk about with my team is, you know, I don't always know the answer. And, and sometimes, to be honest with you, I feel like I'm falling, but I always try to lean forward when I'm falling, right? And at least fall in the right direction. Yeah. So, so talk about this concept of fail forward. For me, I used to panic and react. And that's never a good look when you're the one leading the ship. And so you're not going to know all the answers. And people actually don't expect you to know all the answers. They would rather you say, you know, let me get back to you. I need to look into this further than putting out some assumption and maybe not even close to what the answer should be response. They would prefer that you just have the right answer by taking a step back and trying to get as much information as you can, because that's more helpful. It's authentic. It's, you know, showing that you care about the solution and the advice that you're going to give and that it's important to you to solve that problem or answer that question for that person. And it takes a while to get to that point. You know, I'm not on the other side of it by any means. As I joked earlier, I'm in just barely the meat of my career and I'm not just starting out, but I'm also not at the end. And I hope I never get out of that learning mindset. And um, I know a lot of people call it growth mindset, but just that genuine curiosity. I mean, how many times have you seen the same, you know, bakery near your house But every time you drive past it, you see something new. Oh, they repainted it. Oh, there's a new owner. Oh, they no longer serve zombie donuts, whatever it is, right? To approach solving problems with that creative mindset. I mean, these aren't new problems. 
These are the same problems that people before us have already had to encounter, endure, embrace, and solve. We just now are in an environment and using technology where we have to just be more creative um, in how we're solving those same problems and just being accountable when it doesn't work and we when we make a bad call. Um, I used to be ashamed of that. I used to do what some call imposter syndrome, where I would say, I, I, I don't, I'm not worth being here. I'm not there yet. Um, I don't deserve to be here. Nobody wants to hear me. They don't want to hear my questions. And you could do something like join a secondary chapter like I've done. I'm, my primary chapter is the Orange County chapter, shout out, who has been a huge part of my growth as a professional to branching out in 2021 to the greater Los Angeles chapter and just meeting a different group of people and finding, you know, new ways to show up. You're only going to be as good as you show up to those problems. And hopefully when you're showing up for those problems, it's different every time because the same thing that worked before may not work in the future. You just have to be prepared for that. So, Christine, you've talked before about getting to yes, and I think some people lack that gumption, and I joked about it at the beginning of the episode, but that I'm going to take a no and make it a yes by getting the grit and the gumption, and that people can take that or leave that type of personality, right? Some mm-hmm. people can say, well, they just need to accept their fate versus I'm going to keep plowing forward until I get that. Can you tell me a little bit about how that philosophy, it's kind of ingrained in your personality a little bit, right? I mean, from a very young age, I was always that stubborn, independent, strong-willed child. I'm now raising myself. Um, (laughs) And so as long as someone is using that for good and, and for the greater good for others, I think that it is something that I'm finally proud to have as part of my personality. Um, I've always been motivated thanks to my parents who have had to solve, you know, different problems. Thankfully, I have not had to experience similar problems that they have overcome. And, you know, as, as simply as being the first in my generation of family that got a graduate degree, even just a college degree. And even having an interest in working in HR, I don't have anyone in my family that I know of, so love you if I missed you, um, (laughs) that works in this field. And I get asked, why is it that I do this? What is it that I do to stay motivated in solving other people's problems? And so I think that it does take a, a particular type of personality, but I think anybody could do this job. They just have to want that, have those goals and that drive to want to stay in this type of role, you know, has to be strong enough. But I don't know. I think it's something that's just in my personality. I mean, I've overcome adversity, but no more or less than anyone else. And I just have never liked to take things at face value. And as I've been promoted and I'm getting into this higher level of of responsibility and discretion, I'm having to explain myself more. I'm not used to that. But I respect it and hopefully I can be better because I hope to be a coach one day. So I think with all of those things as goals, and for me personally, I think having the scumption, I, I can never let it go. I usually ask the opposite question, but you've mentioned your, while well, you've been in legal a few years now, you're earlier in your career than some of the others that we've 
had on the podcast. And I think our audience is both sides, those that are just getting started and those that have been around for a long time, like Amanda. And Oh, my uh, God. Okay. I just had to do it. Uh, if so if my we could do a whole you, episode without making fun of how old I am, I would really appreciate it. I think you just been in your profession. I'm taking yeah, defense, I did. right? I did. It's kind of my, my season three. Like thing, it's, it's the thing yeah, you're going to get. It's, it's all because of what happened in Orlando. It's all Exactly. When somebody thought I was that you were my mom. So, Christine, no, no lie. What? No lie. We were at the ALA conference. Oh my God, I cannot believe I'm telling this story. Please cut and this. Don't include no, this. We can, no, it's no, fine. we're going to include no, it. We don't, we'll include we don't this story. This, kind of this is the only time I'm ever telling this story ever again because I'm so sick of Rob bringing this story up. So we're at the ALA conference. We're at the welcome reception. He took his sweet ass time getting there because his flight was delayed. And I said, okay, well, when you get here, I want I have some people I want to introduce you to. So I walk him up to somebody who I've known for a while. And I was like, hey, I wanted you to meet Rob. And she turns and she goes, oh, is this your son? I was mortified, mortified. I am not even 10 years older than Rob. And so now whenever he wants to get my goat, he'll call me mom, which really pisses me off. But then when he really, really wants to piss me off, he'll start calling me grandma. And that's it. Like, I cannot with this joke anymore. I'm struggling into my 40s. Actually, no, I, think I think it's a compliment. I think because yeah, so, that means every, all of Rob's success is by your influence. I mean, there's a way you can twist it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I got cut your back, Amanda. Not cut that, but that's a we're gonna pull the quote that all of Rob's success is because of me. I got it. Sure, if that makes you happy, run with it. So back to my question. My question to you would be: those that have been in the industry a long time, what can they do? to help somebody that's coming up in their career? How can they help support you? I think that's a great question. I would say never stop taking our calls, which that's what's happening. I mean, that's a huge part of my success. Calming us down when we're reacting to something that does not necessarily need our reaction and just continuing to root for us and sharing your experiences of a similar problem or relatable experience that maybe we haven't experienced yet. So when those things do happen, if they do, we're as prepared as possible this year, not long ago, I had heard stories similar to this, but the, in those stories, like someone had actually passed away in the office and I thought, gosh, I don't know how I would ever be able to handle that. And what do you know, in my career, in my experience, never had this happen. I did have someone that had fallen and and gotten hurt. They're okay. And I used to be, and I'm getting better about it. I would react and I would panic, right? Um, Somehow I was floor warden. I'm like, you guys probably should not pick me as floor warden because I probably would be running down the stairs first. And when we're supposed to be making sure that everyone's okay and safe. And so becoming a mom, I think I've been better about that, right? Um, and old me, when I look back at that situation, probably would have panicked. And I was panicked. I was just was doing it very quietly. And I'll explain this experience. I literally was at my desk doing my work. Sometimes people get loud when they're laughing. And I hear this blood curdling scream. And I sat there. I usually will joke with people. I'm like, what now? You know? And I didn't. Because I'm like, that sounded serious. And, and it was serious. And so 
you know, people were obviously concerned. Not, I don't want to say freaking out, but you know, they were panicked and I'm like, okay. And somehow I was able to stay calm and direct people. I'm like, okay, please you go over here. You call 911, call 911, let them know where we're at. Someone call the building so that they can have the fire department come up here right away. I'm going to ride in the ambulance, blah, blah, blah. And there were lessons in that. I probably should not have rode in the ambulance. I was just so worried about this person. And the most important thing for me was to try to keep everyone else calm and to be that leader in a moment that I never thought I would be capable of being because I normally freak out. And I think it's just sharing experiences like that and saying, look, I made good and bad decisions in that moment. And you may not know what to do in that moment, but I shared this and I hope that those sharing of experiences never stops because it gives us confidence. It's those opportunities for teaching others what to do in a moment that, that they may not know what to do. I was going to compliment you, Amanda. Oh, go ahead. I'll wait. <laughs> I was actually going to say, I would append one thing to what you're saying, and that's explaining the why. So Amanda is really good at explaining the why to people. She'll say, here's my answer and here's why it's my answer. And, and that's where a lot of the value comes from. So a lot of people assume that other people know what they do, right? And and something that's basic to them is basic to everybody else, but that's not always the case. It's a very maternal instinct that I have, right? Well, yeah. I think it's just I think it's just being confident and building that confidence and doing what you're doing. And going from that survival mode into thriving mode. Shout out to Jenna Carter. Um, and just always keeping your eyes on what those goals are and not being afraid to change them for you, not for other people, if you're not going in the direction that you want to go. And, you know, it took me weeks after that situation to really calm down because it was a scary moment. And, I had a similar situation personally where my son stopped breathing and he was a baby and I'm like, something's going on. And normally I would freak out and cry and do all those things. And I didn't, I just stayed calm. Right. I had to stay calm. I had to explain to the doctors what was happening, what he did and all of these things. And you have to have the why ready to go, even if you really don't know why, but you have to remember all the symptoms. And I, it turned out it was a minor seizure and it scared me. And I think just like, we have all said in this, in this episode, just trying to pull as much as you can from prior experiences and finding those lessons, because those are always going to be the voices in your head when you are faced with something you've never experienced before. I have ridden in an ambulance with an employee and I would do it again. Just, I mean, because that this person, I mean, honestly, if I hadn't sent her to the hospital, she was going to die. Her, uh, intestine ruptured about 20 minutes after she got to the hospital. Um, and I forced her to go, but I did ride in the ambulance cause I was like, this is not a good situation. So my advice yes. would be ride in the ambulance. If that's the human element that your employees need, you know, right. Christine, this has been so much fun. We have our final segment we're going to roll up on now and it's called pitch your passion. And this is your few minutes to pitch anything you're passionate about, be it a charity, be it a cause, you know, shoot, shoot it at us. So early in my career, I was a, a volunteer and I volunteered for a program called Mentoring Children of Prisoners, also known as America on Track, where I served as a big sister 
I mean, any excuse to be a kid, right? And I was paired with um, little girls that shared similar things um, that we like to do games, sports, things like that, and had, you know, personality similarities. And I would come in and serve as a um, stable adult role model because either one or both parents were incarcerated. And so I came in to help, you know, either the, the guardian or the parent um, that was uh, taking care of this child. And so we would do things like homework, um, sports, and just help that child keep those goals despite their, you know, home situations and environments and just keep moving and keep growing, keep enjoying life, being present and setting those goals really high and doing anything that their hearts desire. And so I really, I was in that program actually for five years. So anybody that is looking for another way to volunteer, if it's not for ALA or local chapters, I would highly suggest to contact local programs like that, where you can serve as um, a role model in a child's life. The other thing I wanted to talk about that I'm passionate about, and it's kind of funny. So we have obviously county fairs, usually during the summer, Orange County Fair shout out. And I was probably like eight or nine years old. And here's that gumption. There was a local radio station, Coast, K-O-S-T, their VJs had a booth and kids could come up and do a segment, you know, for like a minute or two where you interact with the hosts and then you could record it on um, a cassette tapes and then take it home. So I feel like right now I just came full circle because here we are. (laughs) (laughs) So anytime that you can help your children or children in your community reach a goal that early on, they're never going to forget it. So any opportunity that you can make a difference in that way, I highly encourage it. And then the last, the last passion project that I would give a shout out to is volunteering for ALA. So we all have done the local chapter stuff. Some of us have taken on different roles and, and really have expanded that view of the organization. I would also invite you or encourage you to look into serving on the international level. I'm on the nominating committee I was volunteered for that position, and I'm so glad that someone trusted me enough to be serving in that capacity. I have learned a whole new perspective of how these decisions are made at that level Mm -hmm. and the impact of those decisions and how important it is to have a voice in that capacity and what it can do for others that may not think they have a voice. So if you ever have any questions, please reach out to me. And then lastly, I would like to thank my firm, Alshai and Winder, for continuing to support me and my goals and for believing in me to lead their teams and um, for trusting me to get us through the pandemic when I bought out all the Chromebooks from a local Best Buy because we thought it was only going to be a month. Here we are, and we are stronger than ever. So thank you. You have one more. You owe a restauranteur a shout out. Oh, yes. And then I would also like to shout out to a local restaurant called Vistango, who is always there for us whenever we need to have lunch or a meeting, dinner during the day without making a reservation. Yes, we'll be better about making a reservation in advance, who is always there for us whenever we need it. So thank you, Vistango. She got free lunch today if she did the shout out. So I had to remind her. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Not expecting that. I literally was like, hey, everybody. And they're like, hi. I was like, all right, we're on the same energy level. Glad this is going to go great. Have a quick question. And then they offered to cover lunch. So I'm very grateful for that. That's awesome. 
Well, Christine, it's been great having you today. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much to uh, Centerbase and Amanda's firm for supporting the two of you and helping us, you know, be a voice that's heard around the world. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on MostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag. <laughs>